Hello and welcome back to Perspectives. Today's guest is Didi Ferrari. She's a nutrition coach specializing in women's health and behavioral psychology, having coached hundreds of people over the past eight years to improve their relationship with both themselves and food. Didi was the head nutrition coach at March Athletic before launching her own business, Coach by Didi. And in today's episode, we discuss why aesthetics are not an indicator of health, why your issue with food may only be the tip of the iceberg, how your upbringing can influence the beliefs created for yourself around food, why women need more body fat than men, why women's health is so individualistic, and much more. Didi is a phenomenal source of knowledge who presents complex information in an easily digestible format, and it is clear she is backing you all the way when it comes to bettering that relationship with yourself and food. Lots and lots to be gained from this episode for both men and women. So without further ado, Didi Ferrari. Welcome, welcome to the show. It's good to have you on. Hello, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. So could you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do? Well, my name is Didi. I'm a nutrition coach. I've been coaching for the last eight years, which is sometimes alarming to sort of say, because I feel like I've been here quite a while now. Um, I got into the fitness space probably in my early 20s. I had a career change uh, around 25 where I left a previous job in veterinary nursing and yeah, haven't looked back since. I've been coaching people's nutrition. I don't even know how many I've probably worked with at this point over the the last eight years, but yeah, it's been been a wild ride so far. (laughs) Excellent. Uh, So you said you coach a lot of of people, a lot of clients, I'd imagine all shapes and sizes, different walks of life, things like that. Do you, is there sort of a common theme or an observation that you may have made uh, that affects most of the people that you've coached in that time? Sure. So I think at the over the eight years, I'm, I now specialize in women's hormones and behavior psychology when it comes to relationship with food and a lot of the deeper elements of it. I also have a diploma in CBT. So over the last kind of, I'd say three years, I've definitely niched down a lot from just entering the fitness industry at like, 23 when it was just very science macros calories protein and I think over the time and just my own interests and and preferences for coaching and the types of people that I work with it's just yeah filtered down into those categories of women's health behavior psychology and just helping people rectify a lot of what's wrong with this industry so far yeah I can imagine 100% so I, I had a friend of mine who was an evidence or is he's not was uh, an evidence-based nutritionist and in one of the earlier episodes we did we kind of went through the fundamentals of nutrition and things like that so he said that one of the main reasons that people or diets fail mainly is due to the lack of adherence to those diets and so there's this constant vacillation between yeah i want to put on a bit of muscle or i want to lose a bit of weight but then over restricting or overeating and then you kind of end up with the other extreme where Oh, I've cut the calories too low, therefore you get really hungry, and then you end up sort of firing back the other way, 
and overeating and then you kind of end up with this this yo-yo dieting regardless of fat loss and and muscle gain and things like that which are kind of the, the most prevalent and probably widely discussed topics when it comes to nutrition it seems like there's a lot more to nutrition than just those two elements and what i really like about your approach and in particular your social social media is that you kind of dive into those topics that aren't widely discussed and you do it in such a way that's i want to use a terrible pun here but easily digestible oh good <laughs> i'm glad you think so <laughs> So, so could you tell us about perhaps the the lesser known areas that are affected by nutrition or or at least suboptimal nutrition? Well, uh, if I'm completely honest, a lot of people come to me just because nutrition is easier to talk about, right? And over the eight years of coaching, I very quickly understood that people's issue very superficially is food and that's kind of what they see because that's the outcome, that's the physical manifestation and the behaviors that arise. And they're like, oh, I don't like this. I don't like the way I'm behaving. Maybe they've they've kind of got the self-awareness of, and now I don't like how I think about food as well. It's either controlling me to some degree or I'm operating where I can recognize now either it's been brought to my attention by people around me that my behaviors just aren't healthy. So it's kind of very much filtered into a let's talk about food and macros and yes you may come saying i just want fat loss but actually the deeper context of this is you feel like your life is actually quite overwhelming and you're looking for a sense of control and that's why you feel like losing weight focusing having this as an extra addition to your life is going to get that for you so it's kind of a bit of a detective work of that's what you say you want but kind of tell me a little bit more about what's going on in lifestyle wise for you so i can depict is that true to what we're working towards or is it a lack of self-worth and lack of confidence and how many sort of what what's below the the surface of the uh, iceberg as such and i've i've seen that things like cognition can be heavily impacted by nutrition and things like that i i one of the observations i made at uni and this is kind of a sort of a hindsight observation but during my time at uni there was people from all walks of life that came in different backgrounds and they perhaps had maybe grew up on oven food or they didn't know how to cook for themselves and so the sort of default would be go for something easy yeah but you noticed aside from the drinking let's leave that aside for a moment because i know people who just weren't really into that sort of thing as well but there was there were people that are just flatmates and things like that that i had that just they couldn't concentrate they were so tired all the time and they went to bed early or they went to bed at a reasonable hour they weren't you know partying all night long but just the one thing i kind of pin it down to is that they just the diet wasn't I say it wasn't good, but it will. They just were missing out on perhaps the the micronutrients. Oh, many percent. Yeah, you're you're spot on when it comes to health, true health. You're not talking at a macro level. You are talking about micronutrients and the vitamins and minerals available to you in veg. It's crazy that I'm I'm eight years into this game and I'm still having conversations around how much veg you're eating, and the response not being kind of where they want to be at with that because. Maybe there's some, some up, like like you mentioned, our upbringing plays a huge part in the beliefs we've created for ourselves and the way we consume food, whether that's your inability to leave food on the plate, the types of food you have, whether you did a lot of your own cooking or had quite a lot of response for your autonomy in that, your own cooking skills, maybe they aren't particularly great, but yeah, veg and micronutrients and the lack of it. I think that's where a large chunk of time in the fitness industry moved away from and it just became if it fits your macros, 
cool, this is fun, let's try and like use calories for, you know, a lot of processed food. And it, it just moved a little bit further away from the conversation of actual health. Yeah. Uh, we, I spoke with Lewis about this and we were talking about how nutrition is such a minefield really because there is just so much information out there and misinformation as well. And I think going back to the upbringing element, we perhaps parents of a part of that sort of generations, they tend to be part of the generations where there were a lot of like fad diets. There was things like Atkins and, and things like that coming through. So the default mechanism is normally, oh, I need to cut this out or eliminate this or that. And, and we spoke about this quite in depth about how eliminating this stuff you enjoy is just, is doesn't work in the long run because you're just making yourself miserable essentially. And that's, yeah. life's too short for that, right? Yeah, well, we're human beings. We, we live in extremes. We can understand it. It's black and white. We do very well with rules and regulations. But when it comes to nutrition and food, something that you consume every single day, and for a lot of people, food is like a religion. So if you're to restrict, it is the case of, well, yeah, cool. You might be able to do that for a week, three weeks, eight weeks, 12 weeks, you know, put yourself into that level of depth of restriction. But the there's not enough talk around like the dark side of that, really. The dark side of dieting and the, the like you mentioned previously, the mental impact that it has on, on your brain and your ability to perform every day. Okay, and you, you mentioned about this idea of the look and, and health and stuff as well. So I've seen that you did a post about aesthetics versus health or, or how you look versus the actual health element as well and how being particularly low in body fat or lean, which we often see on social media and that's kind of the people we tend to idolize. Obviously, generally speaking, it's not the case for everyone, but but that doesn't necessarily correlate to being healthy by any means. And also, in particular, you mentioned about the women, like with women as well, how this can actually be detrimental to, to women's health as well. Can you tell us a bit more about that? Well, I guess there's two tangents to that. L-shaped curve of at either end of the spectrum, obesity or complete, you know, underweight and very low body fat percentages, neither are conducive to health. It is more the middle, the middle section. And women a separate side from that our bodies just aren't designed to sustain very low body fats because at the end of the day our bodies are designed for reproductive purposes and the body will perceive that as a threat so a lot of the work i do for women's hormones and health is dealing with a lot of the women that have lost their cycles as a result of restriction because your body tries to prioritize what's valuable and at the end of the day if it doesn't think you're in a good position or safe enough to be able to sustain a pregnancy or have enough energy because you're very low body fat which we see really commonly in athletes and um even just like crossfit and the intensity nowadays it's so much more common than it used to be of that overtraining, under eating and the differences between men and women and kind of diet culture and what we've been exposed to i think it's still an area that uh, we struggle with a lot i just want to break down what what we actually mean by by health really because that's a term that i think gets thrown around a lot as well in terms of oh it's healthy and all oh, this is unhealthy for you and we we spoke with lewis about good and bad foods and how there, there's no such thing as a good or a bad food but more a, a good or a bad diet but what does what does health mean to you as a someone who's been in the industry for an extended period of time well uh... In terms of the way I coach and a more holistic approach, health is not just food. Health is not just exercise. It is multifaceted. It is social health. It is economic health. There are so many different parts to it that as a coach, 
back, you know, eight years ago for the first couple of years, it was very much like me, I'm just focusing on one area. But as that's expanded, you can bring so much value to your clients' lives by actually looking at different facets because there'll just be consultations or times where you're just not getting anywhere from habit and behavior change, but it's because their work life is completely out of whack or they're actually so isolated that social health has really declined. So you're going to get nowhere if you're just focusing on one part of health. And that's, yeah, it's it's a it's a combined pie chart of different areas. And if it's neglectful, and, and to be honest with you, in my opinion, as a coach, just to focus on one, it's probably a bit idealistic of me to be like, I'm going to look at every facet, but at least you can get a gauge of where your clients are sat at on different areas. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And this this idea of it being multifaceted, it does seem like it is oversimplified a lot of the time in terms of people like, oh, just do this, then your life will be amazing. <laughs> it just doesn't work like that reality, does it? Yeah, you just need the perfect morning routine and you're sorted. Uh, that's it, yeah. Four hours of stretching and then you journal for an hour. That's that's normally the one that's, yeah. that's going at the moment. So as a male, I find it pretty pretty fascinating how the female body and the sort of requirements for women are so different from men in terms of just general intake of calories and things like that and how there's so much stuff that I didn't really realize until I saw some of your posts and that even went on because I feel like there's some stigma around women's health if you're a bloke so I I think there's a lot to be learned from understanding the impact of things like the menstrual cycle uh, PCOS and and how it can affect like the women in in our lives as well what are the sort of common misconceptions that you think are prevalent when it comes to things like women's health? Misconceptions. Um, I think that we're still pretty terrible at understanding our own bodies. And, and unfortunately, like it is our responsibility to really understand how our, our, how our cycles affect us individually, because we can't just blanket statement that. I can't tell one of my female clients that you need to be doing this in X part of your cycle because that's the way to do it. Because there's no science, right? There's no research papers that state this is exactly what would be optimal at different parts of our cycle for X, Y, and Z. Whether that's fat mass, muscle growth, whatever. All we can do is draw upon the research to say, do you know what? Actually, you are a hotter temperature in from ovulation to the timing of your cycle, day one. So therefore, you're actually generally going to burn about towards 100 and 300 extra calories. So it's my job to kind of bridge that gap between when I have a, a female that says I'm just starving hungry all the time that week leading up in their PMS week to towards the cycle. It's like, you, do, you know, the science is there. Like I, I want them to have comfort in knowing that they're not abnormal. They're not like, why do I always want so much sugar? And then internalizing that, because I think we can very much be like, it's a lack of willpower. It's a lack of motivation yet we don't correlate to where we're at in our cycle where it's like well yeah of course you don't feel great there that could be a contributing factor so yes i know it's a bit of a tangent but when it comes to the menstrual cycle and knowing where you're at in that part and how that affects you individually sure we can make nutrition changes to make that easier for you but then you know we've got hormonal control you've got the pill you've got the coil you've got all these things that could add in additional impact to you then it's a minefield itself so we don't even know where to start so i can appreciate how men must be like well if you don't even know then how do i even know yeah i think there's there's always been that stereotype of periods of where men are just told to steer steer clear of your other half if she's on her period or at least 
you know, make sure you're just keeping her sufficiently fed and watered for for that period, <laughs> period of time. <laughs> but yeah, it's good to it's good to understand a bit more about it and how you can support in that way. Yeah, you know, up until about three years ago, even I wasn't particularly well informed about like the different phases of the cycle because nobody gets taught this. We're not, at least I don't feel like in my education, we had enough discussion around estrogen, progesterone being the dominant sex hormones, what each of those contribute to you, um, just mentally and physically because your h- hormones drive behavior. So once you look, all I have is a lot of people looking at behaviors and then being very like, why am I doing that? And then... Well, when you look at a hormone level, you can very much understand that that's exactly the driver. It's it's fertility, it's reproduction. So it makes sense once you can be a bit more logical in understanding that. And you have, yeah, you, you just can look at yourself with compassion and be able to then make behavior changes in line with food and just be like, well, this isn't a case of me just overeating all the time. It's because I'm just not paying attention to my body. Mm-hmm. This idea of insufficient calorie intake mm. looking at one of your posts well you said about it's about 1500 calories i think was the number for most women that would probably be too low what why would that be in terms of fertility 15 down i say 15 what yeah, I, the, like in terms of like the well you know the, the general consensus of like the the types of diets stereotypically put out we would just use them you know like 1200 or whatever is as a as a blanket number that my fitness pal or a computer generated calculator would give you it is too low and i think we've been conditioned as women to sort of then have that that trigger of all oh, 1400s too much and then 1600s too little and it's a it's a minefield and then that puts a barrier towards women fueling properly and then we're now in a in a state in the fitness industry where we are pushing ourselves women are more in endurance, we're more in CrossFit, we're more explorative of our own body's abilities, yet when you've got this barrier of, well, I can only eat 1,200 calories to lose weight and we're so consumed with the desire to be smaller, and the difference between you know how men feel versus women and, and what we're subjected to visually, you know, men strive to be muscular, women strive to be smaller, we're still battling a lot of those stereotypes that you know have been generationally inherited down. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And uh, just drawing on what you said before about different hunger levels throughout the cycle and how that can affect your your physiological sort of well-being and things. Mm-hmm. I really like what Tess is doing as well, Tess Flynn Jones, in that she's created a created a program for women called the Female Training Program, I believe it's called. But it actually accounts for the fact that in there are certain times during your cycle where you can't push the weights that you were pushing before, and yeah, you need to kind of take it back a little bit, and that's not because you're you suck at the gym it's because your body is changing and it's going through that particular phase of the cycle where you need to actually deload or you know take a step back a little bit which i think a lot of people again it's not really widely researched from what i've seen and it's it explain i think it answers a lot of questions that i think haven't been answered before yeah, it's it's a general consensus of, of of women just feeling validated in the way that they show up in the gym, and one minute they can, you know, be squatting an absolute max, and then the next day they can't lift up a, a two kilo dumbbell. Like it's it's really the the transitioning or hormonal changes that affect performance. That doesn't mean to say that everyone experiences the same, because like I said, there's so much variables. But being given the option, like Tess has amazingly done, 
and giving you the knowledge of, okay, so you're here in your cycle. This is how you may feel. This is how you might not feel. Here's a training program that could suit you and here's options. And it just gives you the ability to tailor that because I might feel differently the day before I ovulate, which is like day 13 or 14, whereas somebody may feel completely different. And, you know, that surge of testosterone before you ovulate can be an absolute game changer for a PB or a PR in the gym versus actually it could absolutely make me feel completely wiped out. So again, it's that whole personalization. Yeah. This goes back to this one size fits all, which I think is applied to a lot of the general sort of health and fitness industry where you get stuff that may be good for one person and then they sell it or they peddle it online as this amazing methodology or diet or whatever it may be process. But it's in reality, we don't have a one size fits all. It's all individual differences are so prevalent in everyone. Everyone's so different that what works for one may not work for another. Million percent. And that one size fits all, if I'm completely honest, I think that's just lazy coaching. And I think it takes a lot of guts, like myself, Tess, or anybody that's trying to change the game a little bit within the space of fitness to be like, this is what you've all been doing. The meal plans, the generic templates. And from a marketing and a sales perspective, sure, like it's uncomfortable because that stuff sells. Like it's easy. It's textbook. It's very, you know, um, volume can be done at large. But when you actually take a step back and be like, do you know what? You need something different or let me try and take to this for you or let me educate you first. That's the difficult part. And seeing more people do that and respect that we are all individuals and we need different things. Then you just stop, you know, the same person being given the same template of chicken, broccoli and rice for six meals a week. Brown, brown rice, remember, brown rice. Brown, yeah, exactly. And like a hundred like only a hundred grams of broccoli, like not a hundred and one, not ninety-nine, like a hundred. <laughs> it's crazy. It is, it is. So so what would you say to, to women who are perhaps going through some changes that may be struggling with things like PCOS or, or even menopause? Their bodies are changing, they're in sort of unfamiliar territory. How how can they cut through the, the BS that's fed online or in magazines and, and where would you recommend going to just making sense of it all really i would probably just start by filtering out any white noise you've got i think social media is incredibly hard so either stop looking at at apps or things that are very generic blueprinty there can be a lot of noise in that space of like here's a specific anybody that's absolutist right anybody that comes on social media is like this is exactly what you need to be doing is just bullshitting because they can't it'll feel like they're talking to you and it'll be like that's empowering, like they're confident. But at the end of the day, we all know fitness influencers that are just talking out their ass half the time because they have a great body and they're just using images of their, you know, bikinis or, you know, six packs to sell things. And, you know, that's that's not necessarily the problem. The problem is the vulnerability that these people are under. It's emotional, right? You're going through menopause. It's a huge transition. We spend half of our life in menopause. So it needs to be a level of compassion first of all self-acceptance is the first part to anybody changing any behavior or starting any change in their life it needs to be this is where i'm at taking an external view and and not taking the emotion out of it but being like i'm not the problem let's look at what i need to do to facilitate my life to make this easy for me and let's become educated by somebody who is more specialized that they've you know 
that's evidence based as such. Um, but I, I really sympathise. It's it's not it's very hard. <laughs> yeah, yeah, hundred percent. And that the the evidence base, even in the evidence based space, there's there's still, I think, areas where we I discussed this with Lewis, and he said default to scepticism a lot of the time. Oh yeah. And a lot of the studies that even seem good with evidence, things like that. But when you actually look at the studies, which not everyone's going to do, no one's going to. Not everyone's going to have the ability to be able to look at papers and understand if they're actually good papers or if they they are just, again, another version of BS that's sort of masquerading as this evidence-based bit of knowledge, uh, especially when they're done on like rats and non-human subjects. Exactly. Yeah. And, and a lot of that will be filtered down, especially in papers. So you need to have people like, you know, Ben Carpenter's amazing to follow, like people that really put so much time and effort into dissecting those papers for us because they're the types of coaches that I watch. I, I very much limit my social media exposure. And then every now and then I'll get clients and people sending me things. I'm like, gosh, I can't imagine what just the general public are like watching or being exposed to because I filter that. I, I, I don't spend a lot of time looking, but in one podcast, you can have AG1 Green, Zoe, like the the, the marketing budgets for these things are huge. Like these are billion dollar companies, I'm sure. So it makes sense that it's extremely loud. But just because it's loud and they're coming out the the voices of people that you respect and some of the best podcasts in the world yeah. doesn't mean they actually have any evidential proof. Um, yeah. Just a lot of smoke and mirrors. Yeah. It, it is difficult, especially when you have people that you idolize and... and kind of aspire to be like and i wanted to talk about the cbt element next so you this year you said you received your diploma in cognitive behavioral therapy not cbt is in the motorbike test you have to do to, to be able to ride a motorbike that's not <laughs> <laughs> so so what have been that would have been cool it could have been no, you could have got a, a two for one deal on that one the name missed a trick there Exactly, yeah. So what have been the key takeaways or learning points that you've gleaned from that course that have been really stand out and maybe made something click in what you've observed over the years? I think for me personally, understanding like how you talk to yourself, like that narrative you run in your own mind about what like what what are the beliefs you've adopted from your either your upbringing or the, the things around you? Like what are you telling yourself every single day? And it's important because the way you talk to yourself is massive. So CBT very much, you know, is cognitive and behavioral therapy. So you're looking at thoughts and you're looking at behaviors. And to understand both of them, it's it's the emotion. So my diploma is in CBT, but more also in REBT, which is rational emotive behavior therapy, which is a little bit of an umbrella to CBT. Um, but it uh, it's it teaches. I guess, therapists and, and people that are trained in it to look at the emotion underlying. So that's been really key for me is to understand when I'm when I'm consulting with clients, I can hear all of their, describe their behaviors, but then I can focus on what emotion is it you're feeling here and why? Because that will, if it's anger, if it's a negative emotion, then I can understand the belief they've got for themselves. Like, I'm not worthy enough. And, you know, really get to the crux of, the core of that onion for me is a behavioral change you know facilitator what am i really dealing with that's not just the, the the smoke and mirrors of what protein content do i need to be eating yeah i've been yo-yo dieting for 16 years kind of thing I can, I can imagine there's a lot of again smoke and mirrors and what you've 
said as well with people trying to put on this persona to come across in a certain way with you as well and I think that's might be something that I'd find particularly interesting if if I was a coach and, and doing things along those lines do you find that's that's true or do you think it's a case of once you once you crack the nut then actually you can get to the the real crux of what what they're getting at and where those negative connotations and beliefs come from well it's when when you tackle a conversation from a place of motivational interviewing curiosity from a question of why is it you feel that way or what is it what thoughts are going through your head or like even something simple as asking in my check-in form it'll be like what's what emotion have you felt most this week and then I'll ask them more about that because everything plays a part in in how they view themselves and food is just a reflection of how you treat yourself how you think about yourself and view yourself so that will allow like if I'm if I'm struggling with somebody that has a very processed diet, a very hectic life, and isn't prioritizing themselves, the question isn't for me su- superficially to be like, okay, let's just get a bit more veg in and change this and that. Like that's part one, but part two is, okay, so why do you not feel like you're worthy enough of making those changes in the first place? Like that's the real problem. I really like the concept of locus of control as well. Are you, f- are you familiar with the locus of control? Can't say I am but you can educate me on it. So the the locus of control is you either have an internal or an external locus of control. (laughs) And someone who has a a high internal locus of control is of the belief that they have the power to change their their environment, uh, how they are, basically. So what they do, how they do it, it's all within their control. They have high agency over, over the decisions they make in their life and things like that. Uh, compare that to someone with a high external locus of control they're very much a product of their circumstance but the reason I'm like this is because of how I was brought up or because of the environment I'm in I'm always surrounded by people who bring donuts into the office so therefore I have to smash five donuts in with my morning coffee so the locus is essentially the circle so your circle of control if you want to put it in in better terms rather than using the the, the big fancy words it makes me sound smarter anyway so I like the big words <laughs> no it makes sense yeah it is the what what beliefs you have about yourself and and you can very quickly ascertain the longevity of somebody's results whether it's externally or internally motivated so the external category of especially when it comes to bodies and, and gym and fitness is it can be fear it can be shame it can be very guilt driven it can be a I need to prove my worth to somebody because I've had comments about my body or they said, you know, an unkind comment. But that as a recipe for long-term success is, I mean, there's no question, it won't last. Fear can be a very strong motivator at first, but if you can't look at yourself with, this is for me, like not for anybody else, and this is my journey, and it's not to prove somebody wrong or to try and meet somebody else's expectation of me that yeah I guess it's a question of where is your motivation or inner drive because people people will come to me saying I want to lose fat and I'm like okay why well what do you mean why like I just just want to feel better in my clothes why do you want to feel better in your clothes because I don't fit okay but what's the problem with that so because if it wasn't you just go out and buy a bigger size and you wouldn't be bothered by that but why are you bothered by that so it's kind of going down the thread of what they come to you with saying is their motivation and actually understanding is that really internal is it external and kind of where do they sit in that 
I guess that circle as such, like you mentioned. Mm. And the idea of buying the bigger clothes and things like that, I think there's there's been a, a cultural shift towards this. Uh, obviously, there's been that body positivity movement. And so we've seen now, obviously, you know, historically, models have tended to be very, very skinny. And sometimes, again, going back to this idea of aesthetics versus health, not necessarily in the best health, but looking very slim, very lean, not much body fat on them and things yeah. like that. But now we've kind of gone this cultural shift and we've got the other end of the uh, the sort of other extremity where you have people that are perhaps, I want to put this delicately because I don't want <laughs> to offend anyone, but well, yeah, they're, they're obese or overweight, but it's getting peddled, like pushed in the industry is this kind of under this blanket term of body positivity. And, and I know there have been some people who have been at, at spoken about this i think dr mike the second did a post on this the other day about he's a doctor and his focus is not on how you look it's your general health and things like that yeah where do you see do you see there being a limit to this this body sort of positivity thing not to detract from the obviously the positives that have come out of this movement because i know there's been a real shift in in mindset and things like that but just i'm worried that it may be taken too far at times oh yeah i i fully appreciate it. I think even as a coach in this space, it's kind of hard to get your head around um, a lot of like what is right versus wrong and like how much is, is too far with that. But from my end, when I'm coaching, especially like women that come to me and they, they detest their bodies, right? Mm. They will be so internally negative about the way they view themselves that for me as a coach, be like, don't worry, have you heard about this thing called body positivity? They're going to just like, you need to meet people where they're at. So it's very kind of, I guess, unrealistic or I guess it just wouldn't be great coaching if I had this demographic of the types of, of clients I work with to be like, forget all that, just fake it till you make it and just talk really positively about yourself. It doesn't doesn't match. So I'm more focused on like food neutrality, probably more body acceptance other than like being positive. I'm, I'm not necessarily like, oh, let's just be super positive about something, whether it's your body or food because I feel like to some degree that invalidates truly how people mentally feel negatively about things it discredits that like just don't feel negative well it's like telling a depressed person not to be depressed Mm. yeah in my opinion but I yeah I'm I'm not I can't say I'm like a a huge advocate of not that I'm not an advocate I just don't work really in the body like kind of positivity space as such yeah I think you hit the nail on the head there with when you said body acceptance and I think that's it's the language that's used is, has got such a, an impact on the way we perceive things. So I am going to start referring it to to it now as body acceptance rather than body positivity because I feel like that's a much better way to frame it rather than this whole oh don't worry about it. It's you know you're you're beautiful even though you're 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 actually probably not. You're maybe taking years off your life or you may be looking not even looking but just the general sort of health and longevity aspect as well so I I like that body acceptance I have seen there's a a quote I like from from Seneca surrounding goals and goals have been something that have been quite a common theme on this podcast with a number of the guests I've spoken to so we've got triathletes we've had yeah uh, you know rugby coaches professional rugby players we've had people who are running businesses and it's this idea of of goal setting and the quote from Seneca is, if one does not know to which port one is sailing, then no wind is favorable. Mm. 
And my interpretation of that is if you don't have an end goal in mind, you're never going to be able to tell if you're going in the right direction. Nice. And I think that kind of links quite back back quite nicely to this whole idea of the, the yo-yo dieting and, and goals and you with your why questions of why you're drilling down, why do you want to fit into the clothes? And so, so how important is goal setting in your experience? I think it is. It is super important. You need to have some at least vision or direction and... It's also okay to change that and for, for goals to not just be so set in stone because a client may start working with me the focus of fat loss and then very quickly we realize that their relationship with food is something that they want more or actually it's more performance. So goals can change, but you want a million percent. Yeah, you need to know where you're heading and whether that's like, I think with nutrition, it can be very like metrics based. It's like more weights, numbers, and my fitness pal, but when you're working subjectively and it's more on feelings or holistic coaching, it's kind of, it's tricky for people to sort of be like, but how do I measure that? Like, how do I measure progress or what? I don't know what the goal is when it's like body acceptance. And that can just be more a sense of feeling, like a, a less thought preoccupation with food, your body. Maybe you actually just forgot about, you know, the pack of cookies you had in the fridge, like in, in the cupboard, whereas previously you'd be obsessed with it and you'd eat the whole packet. Kind of just little things like that. So, yes, goal setting at the beginning of a of a stage, but also, you know, at certain points in the journey is important to identify, but for them to dictate, not really you as the coach. You wrote an article about comparison as being the thief of joy. And it's one of my favorite quotes, really, because it it resonates a lot with a lot of people in the current climate where you have social media we're talking about idolizing people and pedestalizing people based on you know what they are posting so they've got the nice house they've got the fast car and they are seemingly doing better than you i use the word seemingly <laughs> like there because obviously that's very subjective <laughs> yeah and i listened to the jimmy carr episode of modern wisdom yesterday oh, and they were discussing so good right so good i uh, like i didn't realize how much jimmy carr was in terms of how much of a deep thinker he was and just yeah such yeah. a such a smart guy um really really enjoyed that episode that was probably one of my favorites that he's that he's done recently but they were they were talking about the well one of the standout points for me they were talking about that quote of comparison being the thief of joy and jimmy carr said at one point how you you can't just cherry pick the nice bits of the the people you're idolizing you you have to if you want to be like that person, you've got to have the whole package. So when you really start to drill yeah. down in the people you're idolizing, how much of that stands true in that you want to have their life and lead their lifestyle? When you start thinking about, oh, can they leave yeah. the house without a security detail because they're so famous? Or can they go and get, like, pop to the shops and get a loaf of bread without being recognized and having to queue for 50 photos with different people? It, becomes a question of do you really want that and i actually saw uh ramesh ranganathan yeah 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 the comedian oh great yeah, yeah no, i saw him a bit a, of his work i saw him in a pub once and he went to the bar after being sat with his group of friends in the corner and he literally went to get maybe i think he came back with maybe two pints so one for him and a friend uh 20 minutes later he came back with his pint after being sort of bombarded with people once they started recognizing him you get one person taking a photo and then all of a sudden he's got a crowd around him uh, there were people that were kind of drunk they were hanging around hugging him 
hanging around his neck sort of thing. And, and then eventually he returned to his table. And then people started coming up to him at his table and sitting next to him. And, and you've got to remember this guy's he's, he's human, right? So when you start to think about that aspect, and this is the bit you don't see, not the, not the famous aspect, the things you see on social media or him on the telly. This is his day-to-day life. He just wants to go for a pint with his friends. Yeah. And he's got all this. Would you really want to deal with that? I'm not I'm not sure I would. I I'd like to be as funny as him, but in terms of that aspect of it, I'm not sure I would. No, a million percent. The whole cherry picking nature of it is is insane. You wouldn't you wouldn't spend twenty four hours in those people's shoes. Like if you can imagine like people's I don't know, what whatever idol or, or fitness person or social media influence that they may come to me with, but you can guarantee that their life is, you know, they select what they want to show you. And I think that's it's been a learning curve for, for all of us is to, to be more vulnerable and open about the the realities of our day-to-day life. Like everything isn't roses and, and all like, amazing things. So when you've got those people that are a little bit more open, you can be like, oh yeah, their life isn't that great. But when you don't and you're following people that are like, here's my, you know, getting out of bed at 4 a.m. and here's my amazing life and my routine. And you're like, how are they functioning? But, you know, they're they're crippled with anxiety and they can't sleep at night and their relationships are down the toilet and they haven't seen their kids in two weeks, really, because they've been flying here, there and everywhere. You wouldn't want it for two seconds. So what do you want? You want a body, but you're not prepared to take everything else around it? Well, okay. Then you can quickly be like, yeah, do you know what? Maybe that isn't the goal I want. I don't want to have to to sacrifice the other facets of my health to get that. Yeah, the sacrifice is the element that you don't see, right? In in any of the any of the people that you you sort of idolise with talking about body image here, you know, he's got the Mister Olympias. You got the there was that episode he did with Chris Bumstead as well, the current world Mister Olympia world champion, and how he was talking about one day he just kind of was crying on the bathroom floor because it was just so much like it was just so overwhelmed by it but he's kind of got the best best body in the world according to you know obviously the criteria of that competition yeah so yeah it's it's very interesting do do you think um do you think comparison can be a useful tool as well can it be useful it i guess from a business perspective it can be can be nice to it depends on how you view it right to one person you might look an influence and be like, oh, that's motivating. And that's, but from a, if we're talking bodies, then, then no, I don't ever, to be honest, feel like that's nobody, like I said, it's fear, it's shame, it's guilt. It's like, I want what they have. It's, it's fear driven. So the longevity of you getting to that and wanting that is, is never going to be sustainable. So I think for me personally, for, for business and things like that, sometimes it's nice to see, like, I love seeing entrepreneurs or business or, or understanding psychology things a little bit more, but I don't try to internalize that and make it something about me or a failure on my part. And I think people can be quite susceptible if they struggle with those areas to just internalize it about their own losses or their lack of ability. So everything they see is like, I'm a failure, I'm not doing that, I should be better, I'm not enough kind of thing. Mm. I like, there's a there's another quote, I'm, I'm firing out the quotes today but there's uh there's one from jordan peterson so we have a quote yeah <laughs> for for anyone who's not familiar with jordan peterson he's a clinical psychologist he's pretty popular now um from from canada and he's written a book called 50 rules for life and one of the quotes that have come out of it that 
I kind of resonated with me quite a lot was compare yourself to who you were yesterday, not who someone else is today. And I think I really like that quote. It's a wonderful quote because so often I feel like we don't take time to reflect on actually how far we've come in terms of the achievements we've made. And it doesn't even have to be like a big win. It can just be small wins as well. Like, did you, maybe you didn't want to go to the gym and you got to the gym today, or maybe you just didn't want to get out of bed and you got out of bed and you got dressed. Like they're, they're wins. Yeah. Uh, talking to someone, having the difficult conversation, speaking to your manager, if you wanted to have that whole conversation, but you've been putting it off. You know, Andrew Daish talked about this quite a lot in terms of, you know, enjoying the reward and enjoying the taking time to enjoy the reward of the effort put in and i think it's so 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 easy to overlook when you're constantly looking to the next thing and you're sort of running towards that horizon where it's you'll get you're you're running towards it but it's getting further and further away so yeah i really like this idea of enjoying the reward i guess it's it's being present right it's it's mindfulness it's conscious awareness of of your day-to-day and know your senses and where your feet are now and i think as a society we just we are so forward conscious that we lose sight of that and it strips a lot of the joy of your life and yeah i mean i will do check-ins with clients where they're like okay so how's your week been and like well yeah i got promotion um i got this 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 amazing thing happened and they, they, they just can't even like they don't recognize how incredible it is some of the things they're saying to me i'm like okay, you've just literally reeled off like the most incredible week yet. I don't, because they probably weren't present. They didn't, they didn't absorb it. They didn't take a stop to think, do you know what? Yeah, I deserve that. And maybe it's a, I'm still not good enough. I, or, or, I mean, we're just so busy. Like we're, we're human beings, not doings. And I think we lose sight of that. And we, we are very good at intellectualizing and, and trying to just moving forward because our fear of, you know, constantly growing and it's like in this space in fitness it's very like efficiency productivity like if you're not up at 4am like you haven't built business by 12pm you're not like making millions in this industry or conquering the world by like midday then you've somehow like not you're not winning in this game but winning is enjoying your coffee and like spending time with your kids and, and being more reflective on like what you value as opposed to what other people value yeah, it's very true in terms of the whole being present uh, element. There is, I'm reading a book at the moment called uh, Stolen Focus by Johan Hari. Johan? Yeah. Yeah, amazing. Um, really enjoying it. And it's kind of, my screen time's terrible. And I know it has been for a while. <laughs> and I'm just starting to, this, it's taken me reading a book to be able to go, actually, I've always had this niggle in the back of my mind, like, okay, I need to sort this out. It's not good. It's not good. It's not good. But, you know, it's taken this sort of, it's taken me reading a book to go, actually, there's so much I'm probably missing out on because I'm too engulfed in trying to find out the next thing or learn learn a new bit of information instead of actually taking stock of, you know, take the podcast, for example, you know, listening to a podcast, taking time to actually reflect and digest on what's been said and some of the lessons that you can take away from things like that. Yeah. And same with each day, how you can take the lessons from the day rather than going okay did that nice uh next like what's the next podcast oh that's a good one because i found myself earlier i was trying to recall some of the information from that podcast yesterday and i was like i can't remember what they said like i know i really enjoyed it and i know there was some really interesting elements some good lessons there but i just couldn't remember it 
So yeah, it's definitely a work in progress, but I think it's probably one that affects not just me and it's probably quite a common commonality with a lot of people really. Yeah, and, and social media does it. It's everything's curated to steal your time. And I think Joanne in that book is it does an amazing job of, of making you be more consciously aware of your behaviours around what is taking your time and what you're spending it on. But yeah, we can be very absorbed in just doing thinking we're doing the work but not actually doing it. Like it's the procrastination, it's the reading of the twentieth self help book this month. But actually if you're to reflect on be like, did you did you do anything with that information? And how how helpful was it? So yeah. I'm guilty of that. Like I I sometimes even struggle to read fiction now versus nonfiction. I'm like, I need a new book. I need a new like I've, I've yeah, like yeah. yourself, I've, I've probably read quite a lot of them at this point, and yet we're still here with the four hour screen time on TikTok or Instagram, being like, well, Johan, we we, we are not serving you well. <laughs> yeah, I I don't have time to do anything else. And you're like, well. If I'm spending four hours on <laughs> you know, on my phone, I probably can find some time somewhere. But it's just having yeah. that having that conversation with yourself and just I'm trying not to again just not going back to what you said about the not punishing yourself for it because we are human beings at the end of the day, and I'm trying not to punish myself about it, but just again seeing what I can do, make small changes, and a bit more moving, just tipping the balance the other way so we can start. Know, getting a bit more control back over what I'm doing and things like that and I think this, this again the small goes back to the small wins not trying to not trying to fly to the moon straight away but just take those small small wins and everyday changes that can can add up you know the death death of a thousand cuts as they call it but reversed yeah and it's in in this instant gratification society where we want everything now we are extreme we want to go right i'm cutting every social media app out now zero screen time like it's exciting it's like a cool i could like you know go from zero screen time to four hours and back and forth and yes i think uh it's it's important to be realistic about what is achievable and that all or nothing it's in everything in us it's in food it's in careers it's in day-to-day habits we're we're very all or nothing driven species. Definitely. So so taking what you have learned then from the CBT, your years of coaching, do you have any maybe strategies or practices or perhaps any recommendations for for how people can distill that and be a bit more present, as we say? Is there anything you'd recommend or anything you think would be useful to implement? I guess on the if you have a goal or a focus and and if you keep understanding like how you speak to yourself is really important so if you recognize that that's really negative I think it's it's super important to be proactive in understanding maybe where that narrative has come from is that you talking is that a teacher from your past a parent talking and understanding the beliefs that you feel are operating around you especially about food and and fitness and what your values are and stripping it back to like the why could read some is it Simon Sinek's why the why or, or whatever that book is um start with why to get a bit more clarity yeah start with why in, in terms of clarity on are you doing this for you or is this because you think that you should because it's a cultural movement towards it and because it's like summer and you're going on a holiday so therefore you almost you're so automatic in your thinking that you haven't stopped to be like why do I constantly need to go through the motions of beating myself up because I've gained a few pounds or I need to get on it or back on it and that yo-yo cycling it's like take yourself off the hamster wheel like you're 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 the answer right we're all the problem we're the whole Taylor Swift song 
It's like, it's me. I am the problem. So <laughs> when you sit, when you sit in acceptance of that and you're like, oh yeah, that mirror, that, that, that person's me. I'm the one standing in the way of, of anything I want in life. And we're not disturbed by things. We're disturbed by the views we take of them as uh, I think it's Epictetus said. So yeah, being more philosophical, understanding why I could tell you to go and, and try meditating for a lot of people that works. I think it's definitely a positive, but kind of just need to know how you work, how you operate. And like you said, just move the needle in the right direction. Yeah, definitely. I, I mean, meditation for me, uh, I think just going out for like a walk helps me quite a lot, but just I can't sit still. So this idea of sitting quietly for half an hour, I'm like, no way. <laughs> yeah. I, but my other half gets absolutely shakes her head at me because she'll she's able to relax and she enjoys her relaxation she knows what that is i don't i mind very much i have to be busy all the time mm. so it's very uh, it's definitely a learning process for me as well just how i can be a bit more present but take the time to just slow down a little bit and again it's that element of taking the time to just be a bit more aware of what's going on around you and your surroundings rather than rushing from one thing to the next. I think that really helps. Yeah, that's the first part, right? It's conscious awareness of, of where you're at. And yeah, you've done well to even note that that's probably the balance is a bit off in that and to make steps towards correcting that. Even listening to podcasts, taking walks. Nature's an amazing way to get more acquainted or starting in that process. Definitely. Except living when you live in England, it's always the the most ideal weather is it? yeah today today's not the best bit, one for that bit, but yeah. hey ho. i suppose we don't melt we're not going to melt exactly Didi, thank you very much indeed uh, if anyone wants to find out maybe a bit more about your coaching and, and what you do uh where might they find some more information well i guess i'm i'm pretty active on social media and probably need to work on that I, as you've identified screen time isn't great but I am a chronic people please with my DMs I will respond to anyone and everything because I like to help people so yes if you've got any questions you can always DM me uh, my handle is stiddles for rizzle which I do slightly regret committing to you 10 years ago but <laughs> we're going with it it's still there so diddles for rizzle um, and then I have a website which is coached by Didi which has um, a lot of free resources and like a menopause course that you can sort of start that journey with whatever you've identified as your goal, fat loss, performance, muscle growth, whatever. Amazing. Diddles for Rizzle. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you. Cheers. <laughs>